Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. One day you're going to start this episode and it's going to be like, Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Nisha. That's why I say we. You never know who's going to be reading to you. It could be my son, Devin. Probably not, but... I mean, I say probably not, not because he doesn't like to read, but because he's a teenager. And they don't really want to spend time doing stuff that their parents will find to be amusing. I used to hate having to dance for my parents' friends when they got drunk at parties, even though I could do the prep. Also, I was eight. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 17. The attacker hurtled into Robert and swung his sword with both hands. I had only an instant to intervene. I tried to pivot around Robert, but I was blocked by the Turk. All I could do was scream, No! The sword caught Robert just below the throat. I heard the sound of bone cracking, and his shoulder fell away from his body as the massive blade lodged deep in his chest, seeming to split him in two. At first, I stared in horror. It was as if the boy had seen that he was powerless to stop his own death, and, instead of turning to face his attacker, he turned towards me. I will carry his expression with me for the rest of my life. Then, gaining hold, I lunged, piercing the Turk with my sword. I ran through him again as he fell. When he was on the ground, I continued to hack at him, as if my ferocity could bring back my friend. Then I knelt beside Robert. His body was asunder, but his face was still as boyish and smooth as it was when he had first joined our ranks, his goose comically trailing behind. I fought back tears. He was just a boy. All around me, madness boiled out of control. Red Cross soldiers stormed through the streets, running from house to house, looting, burning. Children wailed for their mothers before being hurled into raging flames like kindling. Taffers, mad with greed, slaughtered Christian and infidel alike, stuffing anything of value into their filthy robes. What kind of God inspired such horror? Was this God's fault or man's? Something snapped in me. Whatever I thought I was fighting for, whatever dream of freedom or wealth had brought me here, burst. And there was nothing in its place. I didn't care about Antioch or freeing Jerusalem or freeing myself. I only wanted to go home, to see Sophie once more, to tell her I loved her. I could deal with the harshness of laws and taxes and the wrath of our Lord if only I could hold her one more time. I had come here to set myself free. Now I was free, free of my illusions. Message! My regiment went on, but I stayed behind, consumed with grief and rage. I did not know where I would go, just that I could no longer fight in their ranks. I staggered around, wandering around burning buildings, passing from horror to horror. Carnage and screams were everywhere. The streets ran ankle deep with blood. I came upon a Christian church, Sanctum Christi, St. Paul's. It almost seemed funny to me. This... This old tomb was what we were fighting for. This empty block of stone was what we came to set free. I wanted to lash at the church with my sword. It was a host of lies. 
I finally staggered up the steep stone steps in a fit of rage. God wills this, I screamed. God wills this murder? Chapter 18. I had no sooner stepped inside the dark, cool nave of the church than I heard a cry of anguish coming from the front. This madness just wouldn't stop. On the steps of the altar, two black-robed Turks hovered over a priest, pummeling him with kicks, cursing him in their tongue, while the fearful cleric did his best to defend himself with a rough wooden staff. A moment before, I had hesitated. A friend had died. I had no filthy toward this priest, but this time, I charged full force to the assault. I ran with my sword drawn in a loud cry, just as one of the attackers thrust a dagger into the belly of the priest. The other infidel turned, and I leapt upon him. The blade of my sword penetrated his side. The Turk let out a chilling howl. The other assailant rose and faced me, wielding the dagger that was still covered with the priest's blood. He lunged, spitting words I recognized. Ibn Khan, son of Cain. I pivoted aside and brought my sword over the back of his head. It sheared through his neck as if it were a weak limb of a tree. The Turk fell to his knees, his head rolling away from him. Then he toppled forward, landing on what would have been his face. I stood, transfixed by the awful corpses of the Turks. I no longer knew what was inside of me. What was I doing here? What had I become? I went over to the fallen priest, to help if I could. As I knelt beside him, his eyes grew cloudy. He exhaled a final breath. The useless wooden staff fell from his hand. Too late. I was no hero, only a fool. Just then, I heard a rustling behind me. I spun to see a third attacker, this one bare-chested and monstrous, the size of two men. Seeing his comrade slain, he rushed towards me, his sword poised for attack. In that instant, I saw my helplessness. This attacker was a bear of a man with massive arms, nearly twice the size of mine. I could no more hold him off than I could a tornado. As he charged, I raised my sword, but the Turk's stroke was so hard it knocked me backwards over the dead priest. He charged at me once more, his eyes focused and fierce. This time, my sword flew out of my hands, clattering across the church's floor. I lunged after it, but the Turk intercepted me with a vicious kick, sucking the air out of my belly. I was going to die. I knew it. There was no way to defeat this horrible monster. In a last effort, I reached for the priest's wooden staff. The smallest hope flashed through me. Maybe I could whack it across his ankles. But my attacker merely took a giant step, pinning the staff uselessly under his sandal. I peered into the bastard's black eyes. I was out of tricks. Above me, his blade caught the glint of a torch. I was about to die. What profound images filled my mind as I tensed, waiting for the blade to fall? It did not occur to me to pray, to ask God for the forgiveness of my sins. No, God had taken me where I belonged. I bade farewell to my sweet Sophie. I felt I had shamed myself to leave her this way. She would never know how I died, why or where, or that I was thinking of her at the end. What did flash in my brain was the incredible irony of it all. Here I was, 
dying in front of an altar of Christ on a holy crusade that I never really believed in. I didn't believe, yet I was dying for this cause anyway. As I looked at my murderer, my fear left me. So did my urge to resist. I peered into the Turk's eyes. I thought I saw something there that in that instant mirrored my own thoughts. Then the strangest urge overcame me. I couldn't hold it back. I didn't pray or close my eyes or even beg for my life. Instead, I began to laugh. Chapter 19 The Turk's sword hovered over me. At any second, he would strike the final blow. Yet, all I could do was laugh. At what I was dying for. At the total ridiculousness of it all. At the precious freedom I was about to be granted at last. I looked into his hooded eyes, and though I knew it was probably my last breath, I simply could not hold back. I just laughed. My attacker hesitated, his sword poised above my head. He must have thought that he was about to dispatch a complete idiot to the Almighty. He blinked at me, his brow arched, confused. I searched my mind for something to say in his tongue, which Nicodemus had taught me. Anything at all. This is your last warning, I said to him. Are you ready to give up? Then I burst out laughing once again. The massive Turk, his eyes like fiery coals, loomed over me. I waited for the death blow. Then I saw his expression relax into the slightest inkling of a smile. Choking back the laughter, I stammered, <laughs> the, the thing is, I'm not even a believer. The giant man hesitated. I didn't know if he would speak or strike. His mouth curved into a sheepish grin. Nor am I. His sword still quivered menacingly over my head. I knew any moment could be my last. I raised myself to my elbows, looked him in his eye, and said, Then, one non-believer to another, you must kill me in the name of what we do not embrace. Slowly, almost inexplicably, I saw the hostility on his face fade. To my utter amazement, the Turk lowered his sword. We're too few as it is, he said. No reason to make one less. Was this possible? Was it possible that in the midst of this carnage I found a soul kindred to my own? I looked into his eyes. This beast that only a moment before was set to chop me in two. I saw something there that this whole bloody night I had not seen. Virtue. Humor. A human soul. I couldn't believe it. Please, God, I finally prayed. Don't let this be some kind of a cruel trick. Is this real? You're going to let me go. My fingers slowly relaxed from the priest's staff. The Turk took a measuring look at me, and then he nodded. You probably thought you were ridding the world of a complete madman, I said. The thought occurred, he grinned. Then my mind fixed on the danger of the moment. You better go. Our forces are all around. You are at risk. Go? The Turk seemed to sigh. Go where? There was something in his face, no longer hatred or even amusement. It was more like resignation. At that moment, loud footsteps burst through the outer door. I heard voices. Soldiers stormed into the church. They were not wearing crosses, but filthy robes. Taffers. Get out of here, I urged the Turk. These men will show you no mercy. 
He took a look at his assailants. Then he merely winked at me. He started to laugh himself, then turned to face their charge. The taffers came upon him with their swords and awful clubs. No, I screamed. Spare this man. Spare him. He managed to kill the first one with a mighty sweep of his sword. But then he was overwhelmed, consumed by heavy blows and disemboweling slashes. Never once crying out, until his powerful body resembled some hideous slab of meat and not the noble soul he was. Well, I mean, you were just calling him a monster. They didn't know. They, they can't speak uh, Turkish. The lead taffer delivered one more blow to the bloody mound. Then he delved through the Turk's robes, looking for something of value. Finding nothing, he shrugged to his comrades. Let's find the fucking crypt. It took everything I had not to leap on the taffers myself, but these savages would surely kill me. They passed by me on their way to loot the church. I was trembling with horror. The lead vermin ran the blade of his sword across my chest, as if he were evaluating whether to leave me in the same condition as a Turk. Then he sneered, amused, and said, Don't look so sad, redhead. You are free. Chapter 20 I was free, the taffer said. Free! I started to laugh once more. The irony was bursting through my sides. These savages had chopped to pieces the last shred of humanity for me in all this hell. Now they were setting me free. If the Turk had not hesitated just a moment ago, I'd have been dead myself. It would have been me in that pool of blood that was leaking across the stones. Yet, he spared me. In all this madness, I found a moment of clarity and truth with this Turk, whose name I did not even know. We touched souls, and the vermin had told me I was free. I struggled to my feet. I stepped over to the body of the man who had spared me and looked, horrified at his bloody corpse. I knelt down and touched his hand. Why? I could walk out of this church. I could be cut down as soon as I stepped out on the street, or I could live for years. A full life. For what end? Why did you spare me? I looked into the Turk's dull, still eyes. What did you see? It was laughter that had saved me. Laughter that had somehow touched the Turk. I was only a breath away from death, and yet instead of panic and fear, laughter had entered my soul. Amid all this fighting, I had simply made him smile. Now he was gone, and I was here. A calm came over me. You're right, Taffer. I am finally free. I had to get out of here. I knew I could no longer fight. I was a different man. Different from a moment ago. This cross on my tunic meant nothing to me. I stripped it from my chest. I had to go back. I had to see Sophie again. What else could matter? I was a full 12 lefter. For freedom? Suddenly the truth seemed so clear. A child could have seen it. It was only with Sophia that I truly felt free. I wanted to take something from the church with me, something from this moment that I would have for the rest of my life. I leaned over to poor Turk. The poor warrior was empty of anything, a ring, a memento. I heard voices outside. It could be anybody, infidels, raiders, more taffers hunting for spoils. I looked around, please, something. I went back to the priest. I lifted the staff that had been in my hands when the Turk spared my life. It was a rough, gnarled stick of wood, maybe four feet long 
and thin, but it seemed strong. It will be my friend when I cross the mountains again, my companion. I vowed to carry it with me wherever I went for the rest of my life. I looked at the fallen Turk and whispered goodbye. You're right, my friend. We're too few as it is. I gave him a wink. Looking up, I noticed a small crucifix on the altar. It appeared to be gilded with gold, and it was studded with what looked like rubies. I took it down and stuffed it into my pouch. I had earned this much. A golden cross. The cries of men dying hit me as I stepped outside. Mayhem was still rampant in the streets. The conquering throng had gone deeper into Antioch, cleansing the city of anything Muslim. Bloody corpses were scattered everywhere. A few latecomers in clean armor rushed by me, eager to share in the spoils. I heard awful cries of death farther up the hill, but I wasn't going there. I put the priest's staff to the ground and took a step the other way. Away from the senseless killing and my regiment, back toward the city gate. I would never see Jerusalem in this lifetime. I was heading home to Sophie. Part 2 Black Cross Chapter 21 It took six months for me to find my way home. From Antioch, I headed west towards the coast. I wanted to get as far away from my murderous battalion as I could. I stripped out of my bloody clothing and donned the robes of a pilgrim whose corpse I stumbled upon. I was a deserter. All promises of freedom made by Raymond of Toulouse were now revoked. I traveled by night, crossing the barren mountains of St. Simeon, a port held in Christian hands. There, I slept on the docks like a beggar until I managed to convince a Greek captain to let me hitch a ride aboard his ship to Malta. From there, I traded my way onto a Venetian cargo ship carrying sugar and spun cloth back to Europe. Venice. It was still the trek of a lifetime for my little village. I earned my passage recalling my days at a jongleur with the Goliards, reciting tales from La Chanson de Roland, and entertaining the crew at their meal with rockets jokes. No doubt the crew had their suspicions of me. Deserters were everywhere, and why else would an able, penniless man be running from the Holy Land? Every night I had dreams of Sophie, of bringing something precious back to her, of her blonde braids, her delicate, happy laugh. I kept my eyes fixed on the western horizon, her image like a soft trade wind bringing me home. When we reached Venice, my heart leapt to set foot on European soil, the same soil that led to Val de Pere. But I was thrown in jail, turned in by the suspicious captain for a fee. I barely had time to hide my pouch of valuables on the quay before I was tossed in a narrow, stinking hole filled with thieves and smugglers of all nationalities. The guards all called me Jeremiah, a crazed-looking man in a tattered robe who clung to a staff. I did my best to keep my good humor and pleaded with my jailers that I was only trying to get home to my wife. They laughed. A lice-filled beast like you has a wife? But luck had not run out for me yet. A few weeks later, a local noble paid for the release of ten prisoners as expiation for an offense. One died during the night. So they chose the affable, crazy Jeremiah to round out the number. Go back to your wife, Frenchie, the bailiff said as they handed me my staff. But first, I advise you to find a bath. That very night, I found the pouch of my valuables where I had hidden it and began to walk. 
West across the marshy road to the mainland, toward home. I headed across Italy. Every town I came to, I told tales of the local inn for a meal of bread and ale. Farmers and drunks listened spellbound to the siege of Antioch, the ferocity of the Turks, and my friend Nicodemus's untimely end. I climbed through the smaller hills and in the Alps. The wind there blew cold and strong. It took a full month to cross them. But finally, as I descended from the peaks, the language that greeted me was French. French. My heart leapt, knowing I was near my home. The towns became familiar. Digne, Avignon, Nimes. Val du Père was only days away. And Sophie. I started to worry about how it would be. Would she even recognize the haggard mess I had turned into? So often, I pictured her face as I was standing in front of her for that first time. She would be heating soup or making butter, wearing her pretty patterned smock, her blonde braids peeking through a white cap. Hugh, she would gasp, too stunned to move. Just Hugh, not another word. Then she would leap into my arms and I would squeeze her as if I had never left. She would touch my face and hands to make sure I was no apparition, and then smother me with kisses. One look at my face, my rags, and my sore bare feet, and Sophie would know immediately what I had been through. So, she would do her best to smile. You have not quite returned tonight after all. It was in a damp rain that I finally reached the outskirts of Val de Pere. I went down on my knees. Chapter 22 Those last miles, I almost ran the entire distance. I began to recognize roads I had traveled, sights I was familiar and comfortable with. I tried to put aside everything bad that had happened to me. Nico, Robert, Sivto, Antioch. All of the misery seemed so distant now, unconnected. I was home. My plight was over. I had arrived, no knight or squire, not even a free man. Yet, I felt like the wealthiest noble in the world. I spotted the familiar bubbly stream and the stone wall that bordered it, which led to town. Gilly's barley field came into view. Then the bend I knew so well, and the stone bridge up ahead, Val de Pere. I stood there, like a beggar over a feast, just a few moments to take it in. I was filled with everything that had happened, the horrors I had put behind me, the many miles and months I had traveled, dreaming only of Sophie's face, her touch, her smile. How I wished it were July and I could walk into town bearing a sunflower. I searched out the square, familiar faces doing their work. It all seemed just as I remembered. My old friends Otto the Smith and George's the Miller, Father Leo's church, are in. Are in! I fixed on it in horror. No, it cannot be. In the blink of an eye, I knew that everything had changed. Chapter 23 I bolted towards the village square, the parlor of a ghost upon my face. Children stared at me, then ran towards their houses. It is Hugh! Hugh DeLuke! He is back from the war, they shouted. All that could have seemed familiar about me was my mane of red hair. People rushed up to me, neighbors I recognized whom I had not set eyes upon in two years, their faces caught between shock and joy. Hugh, praise God, it is you! But I pushed past, barely acknowledging them. I was drawn on a direct path to our inn. Our home. My heart sank as I came to the spot. A burned out hole was left where our inn had once been. 
Among the cinders stood a single charred support post that had once held up a two-story structure built by the hands of my wife's father. Our inn had been burned to the ground. Where is Sophie? I muttered, first to the charred ruins of the inn, then to faces in the gathered crowd. I went from person to person, sure that any moment I would spot her coming back from the well. But everyone stood silently. My heart began to beat insanely. Where is Sophie? I shouted. Where is my wife? Sophie's older brother, Matthew, finally pushed out of the crowd. When he saw me, his expression shifted from surprise to a look of deep concern. He stepped forward, hurling his arms around me. Hugh, I can't believe it. Thank God you come back. I knew the worst had happened. I searched his eyes. What's happened, Matthew? Tell me, where is my wife? A look of deep sorrow came onto his face. Oh, God, I almost didn't want him to tell me to rest. He led me by the arms to the remains of our home. There were riders, Hugh. Ten, twelve. They swept in in the dead of night like devils, burning everything they could. Black crosses on their chests. There were no colors. We had no hint of who they were. Just the crosses. Riders? My blood was frozen with dread. What what riders, Matthew? What did they do to Sophie? He placed a hand gently upon my shoulder. They burned three dwellings in her path. Paul the Carter, Sam, Old Gillis, their wives and children, killed as they fled. Then they came to the inn. I tried to stop them, Hugh. I did, he cried. I seized him by the shoulders. And Sophie? I knew the worst had happened. No, this cannot be. Not now. She's gone, Hugh. Matthew shook his head. Gone? She tried to run, but the men took her inside. They beat her, Hugh. He pursed his lips and bowed his head. They did worse. I heard her screams. They held me as they beat and raped her. Knights tore up the place, ripping it post by post. Then they dragged her out. She was like a lifeless thing, barely alive. I was sure they would leave her to die, but the leader threw her over his horse while the others released their torches. It was then that I could barely hear him. A distant voice was echoing. No, this cannot be. My eyes welled up with tears. It was then that what, Matthew? He bowed his head. They dragged her away, Hugh. I know she is dead. All strength drained from my legs. I sank to my knees. Oh God, how could this have happened? How could I have left her to this fate? My Sophie gone. I gazed upon the charred ruins of my former life. Norcross did this, didn't he? Baldwin. We do not know for certain. Matthew shook his head. If I did, I would go after them myself. They were beasts, but faceless ones. They wore no crests. Their visors were down. Everyone ran to the woods for cover. Yours was the only house they entered. It was as if they had come for you. For me. Those bastards. I have fought two years for Baldwin's own liege. I have marched across half the world and seen the worst things. And still, they took from me the one thing I loved. I grabbed some dust from the rubble and let it slip through my fists. My poor Sophie. Matthew knelt down beside me. 
Hugh, there's more. More? What could be more? I looked into his eyes. He put a hand on my face. After you left, Sophie had a son. Chapter 24 Matthew's words hit me like a stone wall, collapsing over me. A son. For three years, Sophie and I had tried to conceive to no result. We had wanted a child more than anything. We even spoke of it that last night we were together. I had left her and never even knew I had a son. I turned towards Matthew, a flicker of hope alive in my heart. He is dead, Hugh. He wasn't even a year old. The bastards killed him that same night. They tore him from Sophie's arms as she tried to flee. A wall of tears rushed in my eyes. A son, a son I would never know or hold. I had been through the fiercest battles, the worst of all horrors, but nothing could have prepared me for this. How, I muttered. How did my son die? I can't even say it. Matthew's face was ashen. Just believe me when I say he is dead. I repeated my question, this time fixed upon his eyes. How? His voice was so quiet. As they threw Sophie's lifeless body over his mount, the leader said, We have no room for such a toy. Toss him in the flames. I felt the pressure building up and anger clawing at me as if my insides were ripping through my skin. God had smiled on us after all that time. He had blessed us with a son. Now he spat at me with the sharpest mockery. How could I have left them? How could I still be alive if they were dead? I looked at Matthew and asked, What was his name? Matthew swallowed. She named him Philippe. I felt a lump catch in my throat. Philippe was the name of the Goliard who had raised me. It was her tribute to me. Sweet Sophie, you were gone. My son, too. I felt the urge to die right there amidst the charred ash, the ruins of my old life. Hugh, Matthew said, lifting me up. You have to come. He led me up the trail to a knoll where I had just stood over the town. A small slate stone marked my son's grave. I sat down under a shroud of tall poplars. Philippe de Luc, son of Hugh and Sophie, was scratching to the stone. Year of our Lord, MXCVIII. I laid my head on the earth and wept for my sweet Philippe, who I would never see, not even once in my life. For my wife, who was surely dead. Was this why I was spared? Was this why the Turk had not swung his murderous sword? So I would live to see all that I loved lost? Is this why the laughter had saved me, so God could laugh at me now? I took off the pouch to contain the things I had brought back for Sophie. A perfume box, some ancient coins, the scabbard, the golden cross, and I dug a hole next to my baby's grave. I gently placed my treasures in it. They were worthless to me now. They belong to you, I whispered to Philippe, my sweet baby. I smoothed out the earth and once more laid my head on the ground. I'm so sorry, Philippe and Sophie. Slowly, my grief began to harden in a rage. I knew Baldwin had ordered this and Norcross had carried it out. But why? Why? I'm just an innkeeper, I thought. 
I'm nothing, just a serf. But I'm a serf who will see you dead. Chapter 25. A crowd gathered around us as Matthew and I came back into town. Father Leo, Odo, my other friends, everyone wanted to comfort and bless me and hear of my two years in the war. But I pushed past them. I had to go to the inn. It's ruins. I sifted through the charred wood and ash, searching for anything to breathe to her, my Sophie. A piece of cloth, a dish, a last memento of what I had lost. She spoke of you all the time, Hugh, Matthew told me. She missed you terribly. We all thought you were lost in the war, but not Sophie. You are certain, brother, that she is dead. I am, Matthew shrugged. When they took her, she was already more dead than alive. But you did not actually see her die. You don't know for sure. Not for sure. But I beg you, brother, not to cling to false hope. I'm her flesh and blood, and I damn well pray she was dead as they dragged her out of here. I met his eyes. So she may not be dead, Matthew. He looked at me quizzically. You must accept it, Hugh. If she was not then, I'm certain she was soon. Her body could have been left somewhere along the road. So you searched the road. And did you find her? Has anyone traveling from the west come upon her remains? No. No one. Then there's a chance. You say she never doubted me. That she knew I would return. Well, I do the same for her. I found myself in the part of the inn where our living space had been. Everything was cinder. Our bed, a chest of drawers. On the floor, I noticed something reflecting light. I dropped to my knees, swept away ash. My heart almost exploded with joy. Tears welled in my eyes. It was Sophie's comb, her half of the one she had placed in my hand the day I left. It was charred, broken. It almost crumbled in my hand. But in my blood, I felt her. I held it up, and from my pouch hastily removed the other half. I fitted them together as best I could. In that moment, Sophie came alive to me, her eyes, her laugh, as vibrantly as when I had last seen her. These nights, Matthew, they didn't leave her to die in the same flames as my son. They took her for a reason. I looked up at him, holding the comb aloft. Perhaps it is not such false hope after all. Outside, my old friends Odo and George's the Miller were waiting. Give us the word, Hugh, George said. We will hunt the bastards with you. We've all suffered. We know who's responsible. They deserve to die. I know. I put my hand on the Miller's shoulder. But first, I must find Sophie. Your wife is dead, Odo replied. We saw it, Hugh, though it seems more nightmare than real. You saw her dead? I waited for the smith to answer. I looked at George's. Or you? They both shrugged guiltily. They glanced at Matthew for support. Sophie lives as my own aloe lives, the miller said. In heaven. For you, George's, but not for me. Sophie still lives on this earth. I know it. I can feel her. I picked up my staff and pouch and slung a skin of water around my neck. I headed towards the stone bridge. What are you going to do, Hugh? Jabbed him with that stick? Odo hurried to my side. You were just one man with no armor or sword. I'm going to find her, Odo. I promise. 
I'll find Sophie. Let me get you some food, Odo pleaded. Or some ale. You still drink ale, don't you, Hugh? The army didn't cure you of that. Next, I'll hear you've been going to church on Sundays. From his guarded look, it was clear he thought he would never see me again. I'll bring her back, Odo. You'll see. I took my stick and headed into the woods. Torstriel. Chapter 26. I ran in a blind haze in the direction I had come, towards my liege's castle at Triel. Grief tore at me like wild dogs. My son had died because of me, because of my stupid folly, because of my foolishness and pride. As I ran, a swell of bitterness surged inside, the thought of that bastard Norcross, or any of his henchmen, having my poor Sophie. I had fought for these so-called nobles in the Holy Land while they raped and slaughtered in the name of God. I had marched and killed and followed the Pope's call, and this was my wage. Not freedom, not a changed life, but misery and scorn. I had been a fool to trust the rich. I ran until my legs gave out. Then, exhausted and blind with rage, I fell to the ground, covering my swords in dirt. I had to find Sophie. I know you were alive. I'll make you well. I know how you suffered. At every turn, I prayed I would not stumble over her body. Every time I didn't, it gave me hope that she was alive. After a day of traveling, I looked around and didn't know where I was. I had no food and had run out of water. All that pushed me on was rage. I checked the sun. Was I heading east or north? I had no idea. But still I ran. I ran so far away. And I ran. I ran all night and day. I couldn't get away. My legs were like heavy irons. I was dizzy and my stomach ached for food. My eyes were glazed over with tears. Yet I ran. Passerbys on the road looked at me as if I were mad. A madman with his staff. Triel, I begged them. They scurried to get out of the way. Pilgrims, merchants, even outlaws let me pass for the fury in my eyes. I knew not if it was one day or two. I ran until my legs gave out again. As I came to my senses, darkness clung to me. The night was cold, and I was shivering. Ominous sounds hooted from the brush. From deep in the woods, I heard the rushing water of a stream. I clawed my way off the road and into the woods, following the sound. Suddenly, I lost my footing. I grasped for a bush, but my hand slipped. I started to tumble. I clawed for anything to hold, a vine, a branch. The ground disappeared beneath me. Jesus, I was falling. Let it come. I deserve it. I will die out here in the night. I called to Sophie as I hurtled out of control down the ravine. My head smacked against something hard. I felt a warm and viscous fluid fill my mouth. I'm coming, I said one more time. To Sophie. To the howling darkness. Then the world went black on me. And that was much better. Thank you, Lord. 916-633-1537 Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook Leave a review on Spotify It takes like 8 seconds You can also leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app You can donate to the show at Patreon.com slash Single Simulcast 
or you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.